0: Guys, I have to do this while I'm crying. (laughs) Our scripture reading this morning is a single verse from Proverbs chapter 31, uh, verse 30. So, ask when you find Proverbs 31 if you'll stand in our great God's honor. Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for mothers, Lord. Thank you for being reminded of that a great way today. And uh, Father, I pray that as we continue that you would be honored and glorified and we'll the time that remains as we believe you have been thus far. We just want to worship you, God. The ultimate source of love who supplies a mother's love as well. Holy Spirit, speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In 1907, a Philadelphia mother by the name of Anne Jarvis wanted to pay tribute to her mom. And so she gave her a white carnation. And she wrote her a very moving letter of how she loved her mom. A campaign arose out of that tribute to show um, love to moms. And Anna Jarvis's heart was for moms to write letters to their mothers. Matter of fact, uh, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson declared the second day in May Mother's Day. But... Uh, Anna Jarvis, she was not just a sweet, cushy kind of lady. She had a little bit of barbed wire fence wrapped around her for a hug at times. Uh, As a matter of fact, she said, although she was grateful that the second Sunday in May had been declared Mother's Day, she was not grateful with all the money that was being made off of it and all the cards that were being bought by lazy people who should write their mother's letters. Instead of just signing a card, uh, and I want to share with you one card I thought was really cute. Uh, it's about three mothers who were bragging on their grown kids. Uh, first mom said, "Well, he threw a big party for me at a fancy restaurant, even hired a band to play." Second mom said, "That's nothing." She said, "My baby loves me. Bought me." A trip to the Greek islands. Fully paid vacation. Third mom said. That's nothing. My son for the last three years. Has been paying a psychiatrist. $100 an hour. Twice a week. And the whole time he talks about no one else but me. That may not be so good. The truth is. Uh. In this chapter, Proverbs 31, as we ended up, many times we preachers talk about this woman who was the perfect woman. Had it totally together. Truth is, we probably depress some of you ladies by the time you leave here. As we look at this woman and all that she accomplished, uh, verse 24, we see that she made all of her family's clothing. She's a master seamstress. Man, I'm at the point I can't even see the little hole in the needle. Hardly get it through there. Uh, Then we read in verses 16 and verse 24, she sold real estate. She was an entrepreneur, quite a business lady. Verse 18 talks about her lamp never goes out at night. Man, she didn't need a lot of sleep. She got a lot done. Uh, Like me, 10 o'clock comes around, I'm ready to go to bed. Verse 14 talks about she exported foods from afar. Many of us can't seem to keep enough milk and bread in stock. Much less all these elegant foods. And then in verse 22, it talks about how she's always dressed in fine linen and purple. Elegant clothes, man, she's a lady of fashion. You depressed yet? This is the model. This is how you're supposed to find it. You know, there's many young moms. The only purple they have is from a sippy cup that leaked and, and, and got on the clothing. And here's an interesting point. This lady, as we read through here, most scholars believe was the mom of King Solomon. Now, stay with me a minute. Bathsheba. Now, do you think the king's mom might have had a little help? My uh, neighbor was sharing how her daughter's gone through a rough time and a move and trying to keep up with all of her housework. But she did close by saying uh, that she's a pharmacist and her her husband makes good salary, So they do have a maid that comes in and helps. One thing we never talk about in Proverbs 31 is, I don't think this lady was alone. She had a good network. She had people that was doing some of this work for her. She didn't do it all by herself. So just take a breath, ladies, if you feel like, you know, you have to keep up with this lady who seemed to have it so totally together. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, God says, Be holy, as I am holy. Puts a lot of pressure on us because the truth matters. the matter is the reason we came to the gospel is because we figured out I'm not holy. I got issues. I need to be forgiven. In Titus chapter one it talks about spiritual leaders that they must be blameless. Let me give you some insight. Your pastor and your deacons are not totally blameless. We got some regrets and stuff that caused us to run to the cross before any idea of being, quote, a spiritual leader. God's words are not to discourage us, though, when it seems like that the goal is so unachievable, so lofty, so high above us, but rather it's to direct us. It is to let us know that we are ultimately to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. But my goal here in looking at Proverbs 31 and some other chapters in the Bible as well is not to say, hey, you got to be perfect. You got to be like this lady in Proverbs thirty one, who has all the good. Really, I want to look at the lady herself. You guys know the story of Bathsheba. King David, he you know, he should have been headed out to war, but he wasn't. He was on the roof, and he was being a peeping David. You know what I'm talking about? He sees Bathsheba bathing, bathing, and man, he just goes from bad to worse. He calls her to his private room. And then when he finds out later that she's with child, he, he comes up with this terrible plan to kill her husband when he refuses. First, he says, hey, I want you to come home and we'll spend some time with your wife and... You know, and he refuses. He says, how can I do that when there are others who are fighting for our country? How, how, how could I worry about my own comforts? So what does David do? He puts him back out there in the, in the battle and he tells the guys around him to back away so that he is left right in the midst of the worst fighting by himself. And his life is taken. You guys know the story. David, he ends up marrying Bathsheba. They end up having a child. And that life's child. Uh, I don't understand everything, but God said this child will not live. So there was a lot, of, a lot of pain that came out of that. A lot of heartache that she faced. And then David, he thought, you know, I've I've married her. Nobody knows what happened. Nathan the prophet comes to him. You are the man. Nails him. And so we we have Bathsheba. She's not a perfect woman. She's got a lot of stuff hanging in the closet. This is not a story of a woman who had it all together. This is a story of a woman who was redeemed. A woman who was forgiven. A woman who was given a new chance. A new life. And as a result of that, she is a blessing to her family. A blessing to her family. Uh, First point here. It's possible to have failed early in life. And yet wield godly influence later. In life. Look at verse 11 of Proverbs 31. It says her husband has full confidence in her. And lacks nothing. of value. She had a shady past. But that wasn't. Who she was as a mom. God got a hold of her life. He changed her. She became a, a woman you could have confidence in. She wasn't that same lady who had the checkered past. That wasn't what marked her. But there was a new confidence in her life. That came because of her relationship with God. Secondly, lifelong consequences do not erase the potential for a godly Legacy. It would have been easy for Bathsheba to become bitter. It would have been easy for her to place the blame on David for all that had happened and to be bitter about the death of her first child. But there's no word of this. And Solomon, matter of fact, Lemuel, King Lemuel, Lemuel means belonging to God. He's just saying, I'm one who belongs to God. Where did he learn about that? He learned about that from his mother, from Bathsheba, who had such a great impact on his life, along with his dad, King David. Matter of fact, in in Matthew chapter 1, as we look at the great genealogy, (laughs) it's kind of interesting we... Come down to verse 6. As the genealogy of Jesus continues. It says in Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Whose mother. Had been Uriah's wife. Why is that in there? Because God doesn't want us to remember. A lady who was perfect. But a lady who had been forgiven. And that's always God's story to all of us. He's about redemption. He's about providing the forgiveness that we also desperately need. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Turn me to first Kings 17. I want to look at another lady. The widow of Zareph. Widow of Zarephath, she had a difficult task. We don't know what happened to her husband. We don't know if she's divorced, if he died. We're not given the details. But we do find a lady who is struggling and she is having a very difficult time. The place where she lives, Zarephath in the Hebrew, literally means to refine and as a noun, it means an instrument of refining. In other words, the place where she lived was just a clue to the difficulty of her life. God was taking these difficulties to do a work in this lady. And there was a struggle because of a drought, because of a lack of food. Uh, matter of fact, turn at verse 7 as we see the accounting. It says, sometime later, the, book, the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land, the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath, Sidon, and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. <laughs> so he went to Zarephath. He came to the town gate. A widow that was there gathering sticks, he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And God knew how tough she was having it. But yet he still called Elijah to go there. Uh, as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. She answers, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This lady's depressed. Maybe there's some of you here or someone you know who is at the end of hope. Just feels like... I I just feel wiped out. I just am overwhelmed. I can't handle it. This is where this lady is. It's where she is. Uh, Look as she goes on. um, She says... uh, I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die, and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home, do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah. Not just for Elijah, though. And for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God took care of her as she trusted him. She walked in faith. In what appeared to be impossible, God met the need. So this third truth, while God's method of provision will vary from generation to generation, his faithfulness will never fail. can't always tell you how God will come through, only that he will come through. That's what we learn in this widow's case. Abraham Lincoln uh, once said, He is not poor nor destitute who has had a godly mother. What a priceless treasure. Another lady I want to mention here uh, quickly is Ahinoam. Uh, she's mentioned in 1 Samuel 20. She's the mother of David's best friend, Jonathan, whose father is Saul. And really, we don't know a whole lot about her. Um, in 1 Samuel 20, 30, we catch some insight about her that I want to bring out. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. Why? Because he was friends with David, right? Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to shame the mother who bore you. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Evidently, Ahinoam did not agree with her husband. She didn't see any problem with David. She had watched David's life. She must have agreed that David was a God-fearing man. And that God was at work in his life. And so she was at odds with her husband. There are godly mothers out there who are at odds with their husbands. They don't say, I, I. there's a lot, of, a lot of heartache and, and uh, there's a lot of pain involved in that truth as there is a storm. We don't know a lot about this lady, just that she was in trouble for following her heart and her convictions. Reminds of me of another lady in the New Testament by the name of Eunice. She has a son named Timothy, who would be called Paul's son in the faith. He would be the pastor of a church and a key leader in the scriptures that God would use. We we learn about him in Acts 16, verse 1. It says he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and his father was a Greek. In other words, his mother loved the Lord, but his father was, as the country preacher says, lost as a ball in high weeds. We read this uh, also um, in 2 Timothy 1-5. I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, I was really touched by that, Lisa, with uh, all you ladies coming up and showing that impact, and uh, that's what we're talking about here with Timothy too. There were these dear ladies, a grandmother and a mother in his life. And it tells us down the next pitch, chapter over in chapter 3, verse 16, that from infancy, these ladies taught him the scriptures. They were the real deal. They had that godly influence in his life that made the difference. Truth number four the absence of a godly husband does not automatically forfeit the potential of godly children. And praise God for that. First Timothy, I mean First Timothy, First Corinthians, chapter seven, Paul talks about. Um, you know, if you have an ungodly spouse, may you not be the one that runs out. Instead, may you be the godly influence in that home and in that life. And Lois and Eunice, uh, they were the type of ladies that demonstrated this as uh, Eunice stayed with her ungodly husband, unbelieving husband. Uh, Number five, an ungodly husband cannot extinguish the testimony of a godly wife. Ladies, if you happen to be in a situation with a husband that's not open to Christ, or if you know someone in that situation, don't lower the standard. Encourage your friends not to lower the standard, but to trust Christ. Because in the end, you don't regret loving and following Jesus Christ. It's always the other way around. Now, as we think about these lessons we learned, uh, It's certainly difficult to be a mother and a godly mother. And uh, I don't think it's getting any easier. Um, I mean, I certainly don't almost feel cautious about saying too much about a godly mother since I'm not a mother. Trying to comment on this. But I've seen enough dear ladies who have questioned their own parenting Because their kids are not where they want them to be. And take a lot of blame for that. God is at work. He's at work. You may not realize the depth of the influence, ladies, that you're having. And I just want to encourage you to continue. Uh, as I close, Chuck Swindoll, in his book, The Finishing Touch, wrote about a great Mother's Day card. Uh, has a second grader on the front of the card. He's dirty, his pants are torn, he's pulling a wagon full of toys. and Underneath it um, are the words, Mom, I remember that little prayer you used to say for me every day. You open the card up and inside it says, God help you if you ever do that again. I am so grateful that we have a God. Matter of fact, it talks about in the scriptures that God does have a nurturing side to him. And I am grateful that he doesn't look at us and say, May you not do that again or it's a coming. But instead, in his forgiveness and his precious love, we have the promise if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the Heavenly Father we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these examples of godly women. Who, Father, quite frankly, were at different places, Father. But you were with them every place they were. And I pray for the ladies here today that you might empower and strengthen and encourage them. And let them know, Lord, they are very important, God. That they have a great influence more than they realize. And may you encourage them, God, and I thank you for them. And I just pray, Father, that you would do a work among your people. And that we would see Jesus. And, Fathers, we come at a time of invitation. You know where we are, Lord. With an altar that's open, may we come and pray if you lead. Um, Father, may we just obey you this Mother's Day. May you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.